I am so glad to see you this morning. Welcome to Venue Church. And here again I see another, um, another uh, uh, company of soldiers. I love this. Because this morning, if you got the message last week, and you woke up this morning, and you had it on your heart, the devil is trembling. There's trembling in the camp of the, the enemy when soldiers of God get up and they're ready to forgive anything that happens. I'll tell you, it's a very great power on earth. And so today I have to, um, I, I was saying last week I had 10 or 12 points that I missed in my message last week because the clock shut me down. And so I'm going to give them to you and they won't start the clock till I'm done, I think. That's a dream. But I had to change my second message up a little bit today because Dale's sitting in the front row and he's heard this so many times that he, I don't want to bore him. And my wife has heard this message hundreds of times. And I don't want to, I fear boring her. So that's my biggest concern. It's so wonderful to have this gift in us. You know, that's the first gift Jesus gave to a believer. When he breathed on them, John chapter 20, it says he breathed on them. And then he tells them what to do. So when he breathed on them, he conferred upon the people of God, a, those men that were with him that day, he conferred upon them a gift that is, that is uh, empower, empowered by him. And it's the gift of forgiveness. You can have it in you, never use it, and just miss out on being a great blessing in the world today. But Jesus breathed on them, and then he said, then he said As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He sent Jesus to forgive men their sins so we could be reconciled to God and to raise up a troop, an army of ambassadors worldwide. We're the army, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors reflect their, the wishes of their commander in chief. That's what an ambassador is. So today we're going to learn a little bit more about being an ambassador. And so. Uh, just to punish the people who came early today, I'm going to give you something they didn't get because I forgot to give it. Okay. So it's my for forgetfulness. The steps to forgiveness. Sometimes we tell people what to do, but we don't show them how. What are the steps? Okay, so let, me, let me share them with you. I hope uh, I'm not confusing Crystal to, I mean, uh, Alyssa, who's back there. I hope I'm not confusing her too much. Here are the steps to forgiveness. Admitting someone has wronged you. No covering it up. You know, we men, we're bad at that. Yeah. We, we're tough. Okay, never hurt me much. And we're crying all night. Never hurt me. We have to admit someone has wronged you. Oh, she got it. You forgive them by speaking. Okay? This is why we have a mouth. Jesus on the cross, he didn't just think, oh, I think I'll forgive them. When God created the world, he didn't just think, I think I'll create a world. He said, and we need to say because that has the creative power that's needed for somebody to be forgiven. And he'll attest to you. He'll, he'll strengthen you. And he'll, he'll, he'll back you. Okay, you forgive by speaking. And then you believe by faith that they're forgiven. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't even see us. But he believed by faith. He prophetically proclaimed forgiveness by faith. That in this day today when we're meeting right here in Venue Church, forgiveness is flowing. Then it explodes when you come out of this building. Yeah. Okay, three, you choose to keep no record of the wrong done. No rehearsing it. You know, sometimes when somebody offends us, somebody we're close to especially, you know, like a spouse, we just put up with it, put up with it, put up with it, and one day we just cash in our chips <laughs> and destroy them, right? Don't keep a record of wrongs. Deal with it day by day, moment by moment. You can forgive 
moment by moment. No record of wrongs. No rehearsing it. You see, sometimes we want to rehearse it because somebody's wounded us so badly that every once in a while we, we, we keep them in prison here. We take them out and we just beat on it. And then we put it back in because tomorrow we have to do it again because they're just as wicked tomorrow. Let's not do that. Number four, for refusing to punish. Our flesh does not want them to get away with it because we have a sense of justice. We want justice. Let justice, let God take care of justice. And we'll do our part by forgiving them. Okay, be merciful, not demanding justice. Let God do that. Be gracious, willing to withhold facts to protect the offender's reputation. You willing to do that? Okay, put that phone away. And don't text everybody what they did to you. Be gracious. Okay, ask the Holy Spirit if face-to-face reconciliation needs to happen. We need to ask God, do I need to talk to that person that I'm forgiving? Or sometimes, sometimes people that have wounded us are already in the grave. So how are you going to talk to them? I don't want to see you talking to a tombstone. Okay, we, but we need to forgive the person if they have wounded us and that wound is still with us. Okay, give up bitterness, resentment, and a desire for revenge. We, we, because we love justice so much, we like to revenge. We like to feel the justice. You know, if somebody offends us, it's nice if they have a car accident, maybe get at least scraped up a little. Okay, give it up. Repent to God. Repent to God if we have blamed Him for letting it happen. This is common in the church. If you have blamed God, say, Lord, forgive me. And I forgive you, Lord. You never made this happen. And uh, number 11, forgiving yourself to receive God's joy in your life. You know, a prisoner can't set a prisoner free. So set yourself free by forgiving yourself. Go up to the mirror and say, you look good looking. Dude, I forgive you. You know, you've been... <laughs> do it. Laden will do, do that. <laughs> you know, today we sang that song. It just so encouraged me. Give us boldness. Forgiving somebody is an act of boldness. Especially if they aren't there. But you believe that forgiveness is going to them to set them free. That's boldness. So let's wake up with boldness every morning and set people free. Oh man, I don't know where I'm going to go today with my message because I, I just got so much I want to share with you. And oh, the clock started. You know, last week we, we went to Matthew chapter 16. You know, Jesus had walked with his disciples. They had seen the acts. They had participated in the acts. They fed the 5,000. You know, they watched Jesus cast out devils, and, and he was setting people free, healing the sick constantly, day by day, he was healing the sick. He saw, they saw all of those things in Jesus' life. And then he takes them aside, coming from the road from Caesarea Philippi, he takes them aside, and he's not, now he says, I'm going to teach them the one thing that they're going to take into the future. And he told them, he said, who do you say that I am? And he had to reveal that to them. Then he says, I will build my church. Did you know that's the only thing Jesus said he'll build? So if you're building something else, you're probably not building in concert with Jesus. Because he said, I will build my church. And even the gates of hell, we sang that too. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he's building. So he's, if he's got a church, an army of forgivers, the gates of hell can't prevail against that. The devil is defeated where there are people who are willing to forgive and have boldness to forgive and exercise the, their tongue. And instead of talking about the weather, start talking about forgiveness. Forget the sales in the stores. Talk about forgiveness. 
In Matthew chapter 16, I've got to follow up a little bit. Matthew chapter 16. If you just read a little farther from where I was last week in my message. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus said this very... I'm just going to turn there. He said this very interesting thing. He was telling the disciples, as I'm, going to, I'm going to be... Uh, I, I won't be with you much longer. Something is going to happen to me. I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice. And then he said this very important thing, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is what forgiveness is. It's denying myself. Where I don't have to judge or take revenge. I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to make this a life, part of my lifestyle. I deny myself and I forgive. You see, we think picking up our cross is getting along with the mother-in-law and uh, you know, putting up other, other people's screaming kids. We think that's picking up our cross. But according to what Jesus said, we pick up our cross. What we do is we take on what he took on and forgive people their sins. That's our cross. That's what we have to bear. We have become forgivers. And so pick up your cross and follow him. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, this is what we're trying to do when we have unforgiveness in our heart. We're trying to save our life. We are trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to feel good. So we've got to get it, give it up. And give up our life so that others may live. That's the big Christian life. Okay. And... and Tell everybody who was in the first service, tell them all about this. Okay, because they, they didn't get it. But we won't, we won't charge you for this. You have to die to self and live for him. We've got to, this is the nature of forgiveness. They, they sin against you and you pay. Okay, when you get hurt, you pay. It doesn't seem fair, does it? But what did they do to Jesus? They hurt him, he paid him. So do what Jesus did. Just pay the price and forgive people their sins. It's the first gift that Jesus gave when people are born again. The first gift. He deposited it. It's there. Use it. Please use it. I got something this week that I, I'd never seen before in the Bible. After studying this message for 25 years, the Lord reminded me of what happened to Moses. Moses was a great man of God. You know we're all called from birth? When they tried to drown him, in the, they, they tried to drown all the boys in, the, in Egypt in the, in the Nile. They threw him in, and the crocodiles would eat him. But Moses' mother had faith. She said, no, not my son. And she kept him for a few months, and then she put him in a little boat. Eventually got him over to the, to the king's court. Got into Pharaoh's house, and he was raised as the son of Pharaoh. So he would have been, had every advantage until he became a man. And then God began to reveal to him that he was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. He identified with his own people. When he identified with them, he had started to have some compassion for them. He wanted to make things right. And because God had called him to be a deliverer and a shepherd of his people, he would have a sense of that already. I've got to protect. I've got to lead. I've got to fight for my people. And so when he saw an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew, he rose up and killed him. He's a strong man. And he killed him and hit him in the sand. And, and you know, his, his sin was hidden. Except the next day, when a Hebrew was fighting a Hebrew, he says, why are you guys doing this? Quit this. And he had this sense of justice and protection. And the one Hebrew says to the other, says to Moses, he said, what are you going to do with me? Kill me like you did the Egyptian? And he was caught in his sin. And then Pharaoh, when he found out about it, he tried to kill him. But God would not let that happen because he had chosen him. God has chosen you for a purpose. 
And so what did God do with, with Moses? Look what he did. He, did, he, he gave him 40 years. 40 years for murder. He wouldn't let Pharaoh execute him, but he gave him 40 years. Not inside, he gave him 40 years outside. He spent 40 years in the wilderness. Remember, think about a guy who was raised in the court of the king, and he's out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. I mean, who wants to take care of sheep? Don't you know who I am? God's man? And he, it took God 40 years. It was so, such an important thing in the life of Moses. It took God 40 years to get that forgiveness instilled in the heart of Moses so that he would, he would learn how to forgive people and so that he would eventually forgive himself. Because till, until he forgave gave himself, he wouldn't have the confidence to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So it took him 40 years. He was real dense, wasn't he? This Moses. Some of us, you know, we can get it in two sermons. You know, how to, how to forgive people. It took Moses 40 years. Because he had his nose to the ground and he had to get the mind of God. And so after 40 years, he finally got the message in his heart after 40 years. And then God gave him 40 years to use it. Because he took these two, so, two million or whatever, some crowd of people out into the wilderness. And all they did is complain because they were used to hardship. They were used to abuse. They were used to uh, being, um, you know, people hurting them. That's what their life was. And so they murmured and complained and whined and criticized. They didn't like their leader. They didn't like the bread. They didn't like the ter terrain. They didn't like anything. And so they're complaining constantly. So Moses spent the next 40 years forgiving them. Even his brother and sister complained against who, about who he married. And God came with judgment on his brother and sister. And Moses said, Aaron says, pray for us. Because they both, they got leprosy. Aaron, Miriam got leprosy. She's probably the instigator. That's why she got leprosy. Don't you think? So Aaron says, forgive her. For, pray for her for healing. So Moses forgives her and God heals her. Okay? So he, he learned forgiveness the hard way. But he practiced it a long time. And God used him very powerfully those 40 years with all the complaining people. Don't be a murmurer, please. I'll have to forgive you if you're a murmurer. But I will. So this is a, this is a story of Moses. Be a, be a a person of God. He's called you to be a forgiver. And so just be it so God can use you. But you know, did you know David, King David, did not wear his crown for many years after he was anointed as king? He did not wear his crown. Because he spent seven and a half years in a jail being persecuted and, and pursued, and they tried to kill him constantly for seven years. Him they tried to kill his people. Then he went after his family. And so God delivered him from the cave. Then he went to Hebron. And he, raised it. He, he, he reigned in Hebron over the tribe of Judah for seven and a half years because God had to finish a work he started with him in the cave. And before he was crowned over Israel, before we ascend to the place where God wants us to work, to spend our lives working, serving him, before he, that happened, he had, to, he had to forgive all of his enemies like Abner who tried to kill him, actively tried to kill him all those years. He had to forgive them, and the Bible says he made a covenant with all his enemies because he had forgiven them. And once he forgave them and made a covenant with them, then he began to reign as king. Then he became he, the fulfillment of what God had called him to be. 
And that's how it works with us in our lives. We can rise up once we do what God calls us to do in the cave. Okay, are you enjoying this? I, I love this. You know, it, I, I have a saying that I have to give to everybody here. If you, the, the, the Bible is the key for us to start to unlock doors. It's, the revelation is in here. But you, if you keep the Bible at arm's length, can you hear what I'm saying? If you never touch it, if you never read it, never open it, you never do what it says, if you keep the Bible at arm's length, it will ensure that you won't be bothered with faith, freedom, miracles, supernatural living, or being having a victorious Christian journey. You'll not be bothered. You won't be bothered with miracles if you want to keep the Bible over there and live over here. We've got to live with the Bible. That's living with Jesus. So today I have to refer to just a couple of Bible stories. I love Bible stories. I want to go to John chapter 2. We're going to read a little bit out of John chapter 2. Jesus' first miracle. And I'm wondering why this would be the first miracle that's recorded. Jesus was in Cana of Galilee. And there was a wedding there. And the mother of Jesus was there. And now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Why would this be the first miracle? There's something in here. They have no wine. Why would his mother be there? Why would Jesus be there? All they're doing is drinking wine. Maybe other things too. But he had to show them something. Okay. He, he, and, and his mother said, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he, whatever he says to you, do it. Would you? Whatever he says, would you do every, anything he says? He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, they're retained. So would you do what he says? So he says, there, there were six water pots there of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. You know, that's a lot of water. Why did they need so much water? You know, that's 150 or 180 gallons of water. They were used for purification. Because every time you go into a house, you have to have your feet washed. Because, you know, you're sharing the street with, with the donkeys and, and, the, and the goats. And so you, when you're walking along, especially I've seen gals walking along, they're talking to each other walking this way or this way. Guys don't do that much. But they're walking and they're not watching what they're walking on. So they'd often be coming to the house or the meeting place and they'd have all these squishies between their toes. Because they were sharing... They were sharing the road with the donkeys. And the donkeys did not have approved toilets in those days. So they just went wherever they liked. Okay, free donkeys. And so they'd have to wash the, wash the people's feet. Wherever they came inside, wash the feet. Or you'd have a terrible stench. You'd have, you'd have to have a lot of these you know, fragrances to cover the stench. So they're, they're using this water to wash feet. And so Jesus said, fill the pots with water. And then... The servants drew some out and took it to the master, or the master of ceremonies at the feast. And, and when he, because he, he's not serving wine and he hasn't tasted it. And so he tastes the wine and he said, yummy. This good stuff. We haven't even had stuff like this at this wedding. And so um, <laughs> they didn't tell him where it came from. Because what would it be like if you told all the guests of the feast, well, we've got some great wine here now, a new, a new vintage here. And it came out of the foot washing barrel. 
make you real enthusiastic, wouldn't it, about having a, having a couple, okay? You see, Jesus uses the, 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 the craziest things. Um, that's why forgiveness is such a crazy thing. Why does somebody who's done those ugly things, why do they need to be, why should we forgive them? But Jesus is showing us something. If you will do what I say and draw from what I've given you, that wine, that water that turned into wine when it, when it came from inside of you, if you will do it, you will have a taste like you've never had in your life. In your spiritual, in your spiritual sense, you will taste something you've never tasted before. It'll be like the joy of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the fruit of the God. If you're going to taste it. You don't have to know how it works. They didn't, the master of the feast didn't know how it worked, but anyway, it was real good. And that's the way we have to treat forgiveness. Just do it. Just be bold. Just be good. And love people that need to have, that need to have this gift flowing in their lives. Are you ready to do that? I've got, to, I've got to talk, go to two stories. I've got just enough time to tell you two stories out of the Bible. My favorite, my favorite stories are stories out of the Bible. Okay, I've got lots of stories myself. In fact, I'll tell you a little one. Uh, we, we, I went to a place in Kenya one time after I got this message, a place called Nakuru. And there I preached a message. And I didn't know there was a woman there. You know the story of the woman with the issue of blood in the Bible? She spent all her fortune to try to get healed, and she couldn't get healed. Hell, she heard about Jesus. One day she was so desperate, she said, I'm going to try to get to him. And she crawled through the crowd. She could have been, you know, she could have been um, uh, thrown out of the community for that, for that kind of a sin, having an issue of blood and walking through a crowd. And she, can you see her crawling through between legs and seeing Jesus over there? And she finally got to him and she just touched his, his robe. She had an issue of blood that healed, what he was healed that moment. Yeah. Dried up. I was preaching this message in the Kuru, Kenya one day. And there was a woman that I didn't know had an issue of blood in, the, in this message in the church where I was preaching. And she came later. She told the pastor. She said, you know, I was in there. And I, I was forgiving people. While the pastor was preaching, I was forgiving people. And suddenly the, my, the blood flow dried up in my body. She had it for years. It still happens. Okay, we're people of miracles. If we do what Jesus said, we'll have the miracles. We'll taste the good wine. We'll see the, the lame, we'll see the lame walk. You know the paralyzed man he took to Jesus, broke up the service, tore the house apart to get this lame man to Jesus. And what is he didn't even pray for him, he didn't anoint him with oil or anything. He says, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, many of us have a healing miracle and don't know it. Because we haven't exercised the words of forgiveness. That God has given us. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. Let me go to John chapter 8. I have to tell you these, these two stories. It's a couple of my favorite stories. About forgiveness. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But early in the morning. They came again into the temple. It's like first service. And all the people came to him. Can you imagine a crowd of people there. And he sat down and he was, he was teaching them. What a great time they were having. Then the scribes and Pharisees. The, the religious leaders of the day were always trying to disrupt something because they thought they had something. They brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. 
Now in the law, Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They're trying to trap him. Now I want to take you through a little history so we know what we're facing here. Okay, these guys were coming to church. Walking down a street, probably they were familiar with, because they'd gone there a number of times down that street. And, and they, they, bring, they find a woman committing adultery. How did they know there's somebody in, in a house, any particular house, committing adultery? How would they know? Unless they had maybe some experience. Maybe that was, maybe, maybe there's an address they'd been to before. And they happen to be coming by this day, and there's a strange Harley Davidson sitting out in front of the yard, and they say, that's not her husband's Harley. That's an out-of-town Harley. Look at the plates. Out-of-town plates. And what's it doing parked in front of the house at this time in the morning? Because it's early in the morning. Okay? Travelers should be gone by then. It Could it be that these guys, these scribes and Pharisees, I don't know how many, I always picture in my mind about half a dozen scribes and Pharisees, because they're sort of cowards, and they travel in packs. When you're cowards, you know, you do that. You've got to support each other in all your, the things that you're thinking. And so, here they are, they're walking by this house, strange Harley, they know the husband's schedule, because he should be out of town. Because that's how they function themselves, knowing how the husband functions. Okay, because she has a, obviously a reputation, and maybe they knew that reputation by experience. And here they see a, a strange Harley. So they go in the house. How do you catch somebody in adultery? How do you get into the house? Um, oh, I got my key. You forget your key? I got my key. And they had to get into the house somehow. And so they go into the house. And they get this woman who's committing, committing adultery. A nice Jewish woman committing adultery. Because they wouldn't go into a non-Jewish woman's house, would they? That would be defiling. So they'd have to go into a Jewish woman's house. And then they'd take her and bring her to the church service. And they would never let a Gentile or a non-Jew come into the temple, ever. So it has to be a Jewish woman. Okay, so now they want, they want um, the, uh, the law applied to this woman because she is now being defiled. And of course, if these guys are Jews, she's defiled for them too. Okay, you follow the story? Okay, just pick up all the things that are in the background that you don't, you don't normally see. And so they bring her in there and they want Jesus to apply the law to this woman. And so, so they, they, they bring her in. And can you imagine a woman who would know the law if she's a Jew, she knows the law. And by the way, where's the guy? Well, they didn't bring him in. He's probably not a Jew. So he wouldn't be allowed into the temple. So they probably beat him up real good and sent him off on his Harley. So here the woman is, all by herself. Okay, the, the guy abandons her because he can't come into the temple anyway. And can you see, if she knows the law, she knows what the penalty is. That she has a death sentence on her life when she gets caught in adultery because that's what the law says. And so... She's fighting and kicking and screaming. Can you imagine her dragging her in in her pajamas or maybe less? Because she was caught in adultery. And then take her just the way she was to prove to everybody, look, this woman. You see what she's wearing? Because she was caught in adultery. And now we've got to, we've got to put the sentence on her. Give her the sentence of death. And I can see her. It'd take at least six good, good men to, to keep this woman down because she is fighting for 
her life with everything she's got, kicking, fighting, and screaming, and yelling, and calling for help, this poor woman. It's so embarrassing. And they bring her right in front of Jesus. And they, they're trying to, they're testing it to see what he's going to do. They said, they, they said, Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this testing him that they might have something by, of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Jesus didn't say not guilty. He didn't say leave her alone. He didn't say anything. He just, he just looked up and he started writing on the ground. You know, on the, the, the floor in the temple in that day probably was sand. And so he's writing down. He, he looks at the man. He says, Laden. He writes something. And he, he sees Eric back there. He writes something. And he sees Bruce. And he writes something. And he sees Dale. And he writes something. I used to think that Jesus has really got these guys. Because he's writing all their names down there. The evidence is on the ground. What Jesus is seeing. These are the guys that are guilty. They're the guys that are causing trouble. These are the religious people that don't know what I'm all about. These are the guys. But I think when Jesus looked and he saw him, he wrote, forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, forgiven. Yeah. Okay, Bruce, forgiven. Dale, well, <laughs> forgiven. <laughs> forgiven. Because that's what Jesus came to do for people who were guilty. And he didn't have to say anything to the woman because when he saw her coming in and they put her down and said she's an adulteress, we caught her in adultery, he already says she's forgiven because I've paid the price. She's not guilty because I've paid the price. And that's the only reason she's not guilty because I've paid the price. See, he said it by faith based on what he was going to do. So many people today are living adulterous lives in the world and they don't know that they're just one breath away from being free when somebody says, I forgive them. Just one breath from any of us who are soldiers who've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Any one of us, one word, and freedom goes out. So here he is forgiving he writing forgiveness. I believe that's what he's doing, writing forgiveness. And then they continued pestering him, asking him, what do you say? What are we going to do? And he says to them, he is without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And I, I'm convinced he was talking about that specific sin because that's what they would be thinking about. That's what they would relate to. He's talking about the sin of adultery with, that they need to be forgiven to. Whoever is without sin. The sad thing is, they all went out one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they all went out being not, not being forgiven. But the woman, who was also guilty, was there. She stayed and was forgiven. Jesus said, where are, where are those people who were, were uh, criticizing you, condemning you? Where are they? They're all gone. He says to the woman, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That's all he's asking. Stop what you're doing because I've given you forgiveness. And that's what happens when we begin to forgive people. They will stop what they're doing because God will deal with them. Isn't it wonderful that there's forgiveness in the house? Who do you think would have followed Jesus after that day? Who'd be at the next meeting? The woman. 
But all the guys, in their self-righteousness, they'd be out there trying to apply the law to somebody. One more story I have to tell you. Acts chapter... You okay for another story? All right. The team is ready to go here. Acts chapter 7. Stephen had really... He had really given his heart to Jesus. He had been so impacted by Jesus. He was preaching Jesus to the scribes and Pharisees. They didn't like it at all. And he's preaching to them. He's saying, you're the ones who crucified the prophets. And you're the ones who have been against God all these years. You're the ones who put Jesus on the cross. He's preaching to them. Really giving it to them. But he was, he was also preaching to them, Jesus is the, he's the forgiver. We'll see it in, in the next few verses in what he did. He was calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. And, and he said, you've received the law by the, by the uh, direction of angels and you've not kept it. When they heard these things, when they heard his message that he gave from the, from the pulpit that day, they gnashed with their teeth. You know what that feels like? You know how you, you wake yourself up at night gnashing your teeth? It's just grinding, grinding. That's how angry they were. Okay. They, they didn't want to hear this at all. This, this message that uh, Stephen was preaching. They were cut to the heart, the Bible says, convicted. And they gnashed at him. When he, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Did you know when Jesus ascended, he was seated at the right hand of the Father? And there's no place else in the Bible where it says Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. No place. So when the, the message of forgiveness was preached, it caused Jesus to rise up in excitement. A man has got the message that I came to earth to give. The message of forgiveness. When you go to the hockey game and somebody, your team scores, you don't sit there and say, well, yeah, I'm so excited. I think I'll come back next week. I think I'll get a season ticket because this is so exciting to me. Can you see how enthusiastic I am? We jump up out of our seats and we're shouting and we're spilling our drinks on people. They don't care. Isn't that true? Because we're excited about our team. You, th- you imagine how excited Jesus gets about his team? Let me ask you this question. Can you cause Jesus to stand up at the right hand of God? Can you cause him to rise from his throne because of what you're, uh, what you're giving to people, the free gift of forgiveness? You can cause him to rise up, I believe. It's very interesting. After this, after this, <clears throat> he, he was... He, was, uh, he saw Jesus. The heaven opened up. There was a man there, Saul. And the Bible says he laid his cloak at the feet of people. Because he was saying, get him, get him, get him. We've got to shut him up. I'm, I've been persecuting these Christians. Help me. Let's keep persecuting them. But that day was too late for Saul. Because before Stephen gave up, before he died, it says, as a stone Stephen... He was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge them with this this sin. What he was saying, Lord, forgive them. He got the message. Can you imagine how excited Jesus was because a man got the message? See, the last message from the cross, 11 words, is the same as the first message from the church. And it's the same message that we have today. It's the same thing we build on. A few days later, this Saul of Tarsus, this enemy of God, was 
on the road to Damascus and he was going to persecute some more Christians and suddenly heaven opened up and a light shone from heaven and a voice came down from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, when Stephen spoke the words of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit began to take down the walls of bitterness and resentment and all, everything that he had against, all the attitude that he had against God, the Holy Spirit began to pull it down. That's what happens when you forgive somebody their sins. The Holy Spirit starts to take hold of their lives, pulls down their defenses against the goodness of God. And they begin to be free. Here's a question for you as you leave today. Do you have a Saul of Tarsus on your street? Is there somebody on your street that if they just receive forgiveness that comes out of your mouth, that God can raise up to be such a mighty man as, as, as Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, who wrote a large part of the New Testament? Maybe you have somebody on your street that you have despised. Somebody who's been an enemy of God. Maybe God is waiting for you to free them so they can rise up and become his friend. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus has our name in his, in his book? He's, got, he's waiting for us to do what he said we should do. Go and forgive them their sins. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your, your, your love. How you trusted us. You give us such an amazing message. You trusted us with it because you saw that we would obey you. We thank you for soldiers in the house today. We thank you for forgivers in the house today. And we thank you for the multitude that's going to come in because you have told us to go and forgive them. So wonderful, Lord. We can partner with you. I thank you for that in Jesus' name.